Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Friday, March 2nd, 2018. Welcome back to the I Own College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and it's been an, an incredible 24 hours in the world of college basketball. Sean Miller held a press conference on Thursday, said he's done nothing wrong, told ESPN to F itself, and then he went out and coached the Wildcats. A 75-67 win over Stanford that secured at least a share of the Pac-12 title, and he got 18 points from Alonzo Trier, who had missed... The previous two games because of a second failed PED test, which is, I believe, at least one more failed PED test than Barry Bonds has on his resume. As I tweeted last night, Arizona winning a Pac-12 title hours after its coach denied a report that he was called on a wiretap discussing a pay-for-play scheme about his best player. And hours after its second-leading score was reinstated after a second failed PED test is peak college basketball. What a world. For the first time this season, we are recording this while I'm actually at home. Matt Norlander is actually in New York City, so that's a reverse twist. Norlander, let's start here. What do you make of the past 24 hours in Arizona basketball? I make of it that we have seldom, if ever, seen uh, this kind of stretch with any major college program before, potentially even college football with all that. It's it's very fascinating. Um, Parrish, I didn't know what Sean Miller was going to say before he said what he said at that not press conference, but statement in front of the media because he did not take questions. Obviously, he did wind up taking questions later after Arizona's win over Stanford on Thursday night. Um, Miller said a few interesting things. Obviously, the most interesting one being that you know he just outright denied the story. I mean, completely. This was a uh, an unabridged version of his statement from last week that we obviously uh, parsed about as much as we could possibly parse from that statement. Um, but him going after the reports and saying, I've never had anyone come to Arizona. I've never broken NCAA rules. I'll even quote him directly here um, just as a refresher. He said, I have never paid a recruiter prospect or their family or representative. By the way, that is quite the uh, spectrum of people he is covering in that statement. To come to Arizona, I never have and I never will. I've never arranged or directed or, uh, or any improper benefits to recruit or prospect or their family or, or representative, and I never will. He also said, let me be very, very clear. I've never discussed with Christian Dawkins paying DeAndre Ayton to attend the University of Arizona. In fact, I never even met or spoke to Christian Dawkins until after DeAndre publicly announced that he was coming to our school. Before I continue the rest of that quote, quick side note, had talked to some people over the past three days who told me that was the case before that he said this. Um, and then he continues, any reporting to the contrary is inaccurate, false, and defamatory. I'm outraged by the media statements that have uh, been made and the acceptance by many that these statements were true. There was no such conversation. My last thing here is that he also said, I also want you to know the one time someone suggested to me paying a player to come to the University of Arizona, I never agreed to it. It never happened, and that never that player never came to Arizona. So, Parrish, as it pertains to Miller's statement here in general, um, and if we want to get to him getting the standing ovation and Trier, we can do that in a minute. But that particular uh, statement, those two sentences, I think are important because, as we've discussed, Miller knows that he's caught on wiretap. He was notified of that a long time ago. And he knows that there is the potential that there will be a, a phone call that will come out that will have uh, 
ideally we'll have Christian Dawkins talking to Sean Miller about uh, potentially sending a player to Arizona for a monetary transaction. And on that tape will probably be Miller uh, placating Dawkins, if not something worse, and I'm not saying it would be worse, but Miller was emphatic in what he was saying yesterday. So there shouldn't be any sort of indication from Miller that uh, he was seriously entertaining such an offer. But and in talking with people here at the Garden and just general scuttlebutt, the I, the, the sense is whether it's and I don't think I don't think it, Brian Bowen's name's been tossed out there because he was a player that everyone talked about getting paid and all that stuff. But actually, if uh, according to Evan Daniels reporting with Two Four Seven Sports, along with Josh Gershon, he's been uh, doing some work with Brian Snow. The wiretaps for Dawkins did not begin until. June of 2017. And if that was the case, well, that's even after Bowen went to Louisville. So if that sort of conversation happened, it might not even necessarily be Bowen that is discussed on that tape. It could be some other potential prospect. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that. Um, it was Im- absolutely important and vital that Miller made that statement yesterday so that he could, no one could come back at him and say, you didn't mention all this before that you were caught on tape. He at least set the table for the possibility that tape gets released. Yeah, I think what we're going to find out is that uh, Sean Miller and Christian Dawkins are absolutely caught on wiretap, and they're absolutely discussing. And it might not be a discussion; it might be a one-sided conversation. Um, you know, it, it might be Christian Dawkins just throwing it out there and 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 presenting something as a possibility. And uh, and so, well, here's what I think you're going to find: that a lot of what Mark Schleyball reported is correct. That Sean Miller and Christian Dawkins are in a conversation, that it has been called on a wiretap, that the number one hundred thousand dollars or some monetary figure is 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 put out there, but that it's not DeAndre Ayton. And maybe DeAndre Ayton's name came up at some point in the conversation. I think that will be the case. But that they were, yeah, but that they were not actually discussing DeAndre Ayton. Um. Because Sean left very little wiggle room in that press conference yesterday. And I shouldn't call it a press conference because it wasn't a press conference. He didn't answer any questions. He just read a statement. He left very no wiggle room, I would say. He said, I have never talked to Christian Dawkins about a pay-for-play scheme for DeAndre Ayton. And then he went on to, to say what you referenced, which I think is important, is yes, I have been approached. And by the way, that, that can't possibly be the first time Sean Miller has ever been approached about paying a player. But he knows that's the one time that it's caught on tape and that, that he's at risk of that tape coming out someday. And he said, I, I have been approached uh, about paying you know, to get a player, and, and I did not do it, and that player did not come to Arizona. And I don't know who that player is. I mean, your 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 initial reaction is is Brian Bowen, but the the timeline doesn't quite set up perfectly there. So maybe it was, perhaps it wasn't. But either way, I, I think that's if we ever hear the conversation between Christian Dawkins and Sean Miller, I think you're going to hear him discussing a player. I think you might hear DeAndre's name, like it, it'll be in the transcript, but it'll be clear that they weren't talking about DeAndre Aiden, and um, it'll be clear that whoever they were talking about didn't go to Arizona. And um, that'll that'll be, I, I guess, on some level vindication or maybe completely vindication uh, for Sean Miller. And it's a bad spot for Mark Schleyball. Like, I, I, it's clear at this point he did not hear that wiretap, that he was uh, trusting a source to tell him what he heard 
on the wiretap and it, it appears, and I stress the word appears, but it appears that he just got bad information and he went with it. And that's not an excuse because in our business, um, you've got to sift through everything and understand when you when you're good to go and when you're not. Um, it, it, but he got burned, and he, he went with. It appears that he went with bad information, and that's um, that's not good for Mark, obviously. But it's also not good for Sean and for Arizona. Like this is messy and complex and bad for basically everybody involved. Because though Thursday was a good day for Sean Miller, the past week has not been a good week, and you know that that cloud remains and some damage was actually done. As I wrote in a column at CBS sports, they come, you can't unring that bell from last Friday night. You know, people spent um, days calling Sean Miller a cheater saying he should be fired, saying he should never coach again. And while those things might be true, um, they aren't true based on what ESPN reported last Friday night. That's absolutely correct. Parrish, what did you let's, – uh, let's put on our honesty caps here. What were you expecting mm-hmm. from Miller two minutes before that he sat down and made that statement? My expectation was that he was going to say, um, I'm voluntarily stepping away from the program for the short term. I hope to be able to return for the Pac-12 tournament, but due to the ongoing federal investigation – and continuing to work with my lawyers and the university president and the board of regents, we find it's in the best interest for me uh, to not coach the team until this matter can be completely resolved. I completely defend my innocence. That didn't happen. I mean, he came out uh, and, and basically said, "I." he didn't say this directly, but he was basically sick of not being able to stand up for himself and his program. So he finally gave Arizona enough information where they were like, we're good. What were you expecting him to say? I was honestly expecting him to say some version of what he actually said. I mean, you and I and and some other writers at CBS Sports and our editors are all in a Slack group chat. I don't know what the proper way to say that is. But, I mean, if you go back and look at it from yesterday, I mean, just in the spirit of full disclosure, I was writing a column yesterday morning on my flight home from New York. And as I described column, and I actually wrote it and I filed it. We just didn't publish it. Um. It was it was explaining why it might be in the best interest of just everybody to cut ties and move on. You know, for Sean, be able to focus on trying to actually be vindicated and clear your name. And and for Arizona, even if you believe your coach didn't do what ESPN reported that he did, there's just still a lot here. And this class, you know, I, I think people I know they don't forget, but it just like doesn't get talked about. One of Sean Miller's close friends and longtime assistants is still fired and facing federal prison, charged with multiple felonies uh, because of stuff that he did on Sean Miller's watch. Like that, that's enough to get another man fired. It just hasn't got Sean Miller fired. And so the point of the column was like, you know, can, can Sean Miller, even if the ESPN report is wrong or not completely true, can Sean Miller operate, run the Arizona basketball program under this cloud of scandal? Can he reasonably be expected to still be great at his job? You know, because that other shoe, if it exists, could drop literally any day. If Book Richardson starts cooperating with federal authorities, if he's not already, what has he got to say? Now, I acknowledge that it is possible, possible, that he's got no good stories to tell. That the feds can cut a deal with him and say, okay, let's talk. We're going to ask you about everything. And he says, I'll tell you everything I know, but I don't know anything about Sean Miller. But that's possible. But is it likely? 
I don't know. I'll just say this. If I had been a high major coach who had been recruiting at the highest levels of the sport, because you and I have talked about this before. If you're talking about best recruiters of the past five, six, seven, eight years, it's in some order, Mike Krzyzewski and John Calipari, and then Sean Miller. And so this is all I know. If I had been, take Sean out of it. I don't, like, if I were a high major coach who had been recruiting at the highest level of the sport for the past several years, the last thing I'd want is one of my assistants and close friends uh, under oath at the risk of perjury talking about me and what we've done or even what he's done. Cause whatever he's done is on my watch. And so, um, like this could still go a variety of ways. And so the column I wrote was, like, do you just want to deal with that if you're if you're Arizona? Because the last big brand that stood by its successful basketball coach in the middle of a scandal was Louisville. And ultimately they they had they regretted that. You know, it, it you know subsequently Rick Patino lost his job when the FBI said, Hey, here's what we know happened. And the man who stood initially by Rick Patino, Tom Jurich, the athletic director, well, he he lost his uh, he lost his job too. So that was my column. Not not saying Sean Miller must go; he's a cheater. But just like, hey, let's like, let's take a step back. I'm not saying this is fair. I'm not saying this is right. But can Arizona continue on this path with this coach who's got this cloud above him? And you can go back and look at the Slack uh, Slack group chat. Um, at one point, after I had sent the fi- uh, the column to our editors, I said, "Hold up, do not publish that yet." Because I'm starting to hear that they're going to announce today he's he's keeping his job. He's going to coach tonight. And I said, so let me rework it where I at least acknowledge that's not only a possibility but likely. And so I went back in and I changed parts of the column. And I was like, while I acknowledge that it is possible, if not likely, that Sean Miller you know, you know, know, could continue as Arizona's coach and actually coach against Stanford tonight, like I changed the column, to put all that in there so that when what happened happened, I would – not look like I was completely in the dark. And by the time I got that back to the editors, Arizona called uh, or, or scheduled a press conference for, for middle of the afternoon. And I'm like on a plane still, and I'm about to land. Like, I think the press conference started at 1230 Eastern. I was landing at 1230 Eastern. I mean, I was on the Eastern. way to yeah. the ground. Like we're in, our, we're in our final descent type thing. Put your tray tables up as the press conference was starting. And then I sent a note in the Slack, in Slack that said, just hold the column, and I, I can still use big parts of it to make the same points I wanted to make. But I, I think that in this press conference, he's going to announce that he's he's going to continue to coach Arizona. And so, two minutes to answer your question in the longest way possible. You absolutely um, have two minutes before <laughs> two minutes before Sean Miller sat down at that table uh, to, to 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 read a statement. I actually thought he was going to say some version of. Exactly what he said. Uh, I was uh, pretty fascinated by that by that statement of his, and um, he was listen. He was firm, uh, unequivocal, and this brings a next level uh, uh, of intrigue and fascination. It'd be damn interesting if Arizona made the Final Four. Um, and and part of me would oh, look, they're a hundred percent making the Final Four. You realize that, right? Yeah, there is no way this end of college basketball. Everything that it has represented does not end up with Arizona in the final four. Arizona has to be in the final It'd four. Be, Dude, it, a week ago, a week ago, their coach was accused of a pay-for-play scheme for their best player, and Alonzo Trier was suspended for PD test. And now they're all back. The coach is back. The star player's back. Alonzo Trier's playing. 
Like they're hundred percent they're going to the final. I will in my bracket pick Arizona to go to the final four. I don't care what seed they are. They this season would not would not be what it ought to be if Arizona doesn't go to the final. Yeah, it seems meant to be. And number two, they absolutely have the talent. And yes, let's remind everyone that Sean Miller is universally accepted as a top 20 coach in his profession. They can absolutely get there. And uh, that would be just something wild to cover if it winds up going that way overall. And yeah, I mean, listen, the fact that we are where we are right now, and I remember what everyone was saying and tweeting on Saturday about Aiton and particularly about Miller, never coach again. He's He has made it, man. This dude has come out on top. This is an impressive, <laughs> impressive, impressive revival. Um, I'm almost half in awe of what we've seen here. And with Trier, I got a note here that he, he went – to the NCAA appealed, and the NCAA has been able, uh, and this is great, but let's have this going forward here. It has been able to review cases from Miles Bridges to Kevin Knox to Wendell Carter to Colin Sexton to a separate matter with Trier triggering a positive drug test, which, according to Trier's mother, you know, is the same as like a few grains of sand in an Olympic-sized swimming pool uh, on a scientific level. And really, what are we even doing here? Why is he ineligible because of this? Whether you believe that or not, and whether you believe like Trier was, you know, stupid enough to try this banned substance again, what the appeal won for the NCAA, and they did it fast. So they got that done. They're all on the floor, and they obviously win on Thursday night. Miller gets a standing ovation, as you would expect coming out there. They wrap up at home against Cal. They're going to win that game easily, obviously, and they will enter into the Pac-12 tournament as uh, as league champions, the number one seed, and still with a good shot, I think, at a three seed if they win that bracket overall. It's, uh, it's certainly become something uh, very fascinating, and I think the NCAA tournament, I don't even say this cynically, I think the NCAA tournament, because of everything that's happened over the past week, and especially with Arizona going to be having a high seed, Michigan State's going to have a high seed, and you know I'm here obviously in New York for the Big Ten tournament. We'll see what any you know off the court stories come about regarding anything with Bridges or previous reports tied to ESPN. Um, I think because of all those factors uh, and anything that could still come. I think the ratings for the tournament are going to be are going to spike. I think they're going to go up because there's just going to be a, this this discussion around college basketball that doesn't have to do with just what's happening on the court, and that is going to cause more and more people to want to watch to see these players to just kind of be involved in that conversation. Do you agree, Parrish? I don't know if the ratings will spike because of that, um, but I do think there are stories connected to the sport that um, that are unusual and that draw. Um, well, I, I'll just say this. Like yesterday, it was March 1st, and I know, it, it, you know, in March, college basketball, I got you. But um, it is rare. Let's just be honest. As much as we make our living off of college basketball, it's rare that college basketball is the biggest sport, biggest story in sports. Um, it, I, you know, the, the NBA is bigger than college basketball. Obviously, like even offseason NFL stuff is bigger than college basketball. And yet there have been days throughout – this season where college basketball wouldn't be the biggest story, but it is because of scandal stuff. Last Friday, college basketball was the biggest story in sports. Why? Because of that Yahoo report. Um, Friday night. Why? Because of Sean Miller all weekend. Why? Not because of the games, because of the Arizona scandal yesterday. Why? Not because middle Tennessee was playing Western Kentucky. 
but because like Sean Miller held that press conference that we've been talking about for the past 19 minutes. Um, so I do agree completely that there are stories connected to ba- college basketball that make the sport more relevant if for no other reason than like college than, than, than sports talk radio. Like there are how many how many radio requests you got over the past week? Uh, too many to count. A billion. Right. I mean, it's it's got to the point. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you're a producer for a radio show, um, I apologize if I hadn't got back to you. It's just been too much, you know, given everything else you and I are are asked to do or or, or committed to do. I shouldn't say asked yes, like like we're giving, sure. doing favors like we're 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 well compensated to do what we do. We're lucky to do what we do. But there's a lot to do, you know, writing um, podcast. Uh, I obviously host a radio show, television. Um, CBS Sports HQ hits. There's just a lot going on, and I actually got to the point where I, you know, wrote a paragraph in a file that I can just copy and paste that says, "Hey, I, I'm sorry, uh, but like right now, I am overcommitted um, to, to to things, and I, I just don't have time to do anything other than a I'm I'm requ- contractually obligated to do, or b already committed to do. So it's been it, it's been overwhelming in a way that it is unusual. Um, so I agree with all that, but that, will it have an impact on who watches the games and television numbers. I, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I, I do think that as the tournament progresses, if one of these, I don't want to so, say cheating programs, because there's no evidence of that really. Well, I mean, there is some evidence of that. I should rephrase, but um, some of these programs that have been caught up teams tangled in, in scandal ongoing. Yes. The teams tangled in scandals. Um, if they can, conti- if they march through the bracket, then yes, that becomes a big, big story. And people show up to the games. I guess I would say it like this. People will show up to the games, but not write about the games. People will go to the press conferences. They won't write about the games. And so like, what would be, on this note, this would be a fun exercise, what would be the perfect Final Four for the season of college basketball that has been engulfed by scandal? Obviously, Arizona. I think Michigan State as well, even though to the extent Michigan State's caught in scandal, it hasn't been about the FBI investigation as much as other stuff. Um, but still, like, let's throw Michigan State in there because it's a good big story. You would Auburn. Need, you, Auburn, Auburn, and then you would need Louisville to get in and make a Cinderella run. <laughs> that would be perfect. That's what I want. That's the final four I'm rooting for. Uh, Arizona, Auburn, Michigan State, and Louisville. Could, we couldn't get anything better than that, could yeah. we? <laughs> no, we couldn't. That would, that would uh, so out so out far, uh, outpace um, – when UConn won uh, a few years oh, back, that was- you know they were they were caught up in in, just, in some stuff there. Um, but that this would be just they probation. They were on probation, and Mark Emmert had to hand a trophy to Jim Calhoun. Yeah, amazing. This would be so much better than that. But we'll <laughs> we'll see. Um, I, I think there will be something something of a gawk factor uh, there. And I mean, the tournament's always awesome, so it'll be great for that alone. But I wouldn't be surprised if year over year we saw a rise from the first weekend on. But particularly, I mean, and listen, this would ruin our, our fantasy scenario. But um, you know, if Arizona stumbles, winds up with a four. And is in the same region as as a Michigan State, and that's a Sweet Sixteen matchup. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. Um, but we'll uh, we'll see what happens with that. It's it's been it's been a surreal week, and we are now 
uh, looking at an Arizona program with a coach and roster that, frankly, no one thought was going to happen. Like, the Trier thing getting cleared this fast was not the expectation. Miller saying what he said, how he said, with the administration backing him, and basically, like, no, there's nothing nothing else to know going forward in the short term here. He is their active coach. He is going to remain that way. And whatever else comes from the federal investigation, that's going to be, barring a massive news leak, or the FBI dropping something, and, and I'm not putting that out of the question, by the way. I still think that's a possibility. But barring those two things happening, then Arizona's situation will be what it is for uh, for the foreseeable future. And that's been uh, a quite the interesting turn of events, and we wait to see what happens next on the floor with that team. Because, uh, by the way, they are damn good. And as I, uh, I got a story up on, on .com just about player of the year candidates. DeAndre Ayton's a top five player of the year candidate right now. That's actually a really good, capable team um, with some studs on it. So uh, I'm very interested to watch Arizona every single time from here on out. It is wild that last Saturday morning, if you would have asked somebody the following questions, um, the answers would have been as follows. Will Sean Miller ever coach at Arizona again? Nope. Will Alonzo Trier ever play at Arizona again? Nope. Will DeAndre Ayton ever play at Arizona again? Nope, I don't think so. That was last Saturday morning. That's the way most people would have answered. And last night, Thursday night, Sean Miller coached, Alonzo Trier played, DeAndre Ayton played, and they won a Pac-12 title. It is, uh, as you said, it's been a, it's been a wild week. Uh, let's move on. There's a new way to get the latest scores, news, and highlights for college basketball. I don't know if you've checked it out uh, yet. It's involving college basketball, all your favorite sports. It's CBS Sports HQ. It's a brand-new 24-7 streaming channel covering the biggest games, best plays, and crucial insights from around sports. You can stream it free at any time, 24 hours a day, on the CBS Sports app for Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, Amazon Fire, on your phone, and other connected advices, and you can watch online at cbssportshq.com. That's cbssportshq.com. Seriously, when you're done with this podcast, go check it out, cbssportshq.com. I'm on there all the time. Matt Norlander is on there all the time. So check it out if you get a chance at cbssportshq online at cbssportshq.com. I know, Norlander, that you were uh, last night at the Garden and not able to watch Virginia Louisville live. But at this point, you know what happened. Uh, Virginia was down, the number one team in the country, down on the road uh, by four points with one second left and somehow won the game. I mean, you talk about incredible, like what in the world finishes? You don't get much better than than Virginia beating Louisville on Thursday night. Uh, ridiculous ending. One, I mean, one in 10,000, if that, that might even be too likely. One in 100,000, one in a million kind of ending. Um, this, by the way, is locked up the number one overall seed for Virginia now. Um, if it were to, even if it were to lose uh, this weekend, they play at Notre Dame or play at home versus Notre Dame. If they lost that game, they lost in the first their first game in the ACC tournament. I still think Virginia is going to have the number one overseas overall seed locked up. It's the only two loss team in the country, and Louisville. That is, I'll get to the end in just a second. But for Louisville, you know. Dancing on the fence, that is a brutal loss that you had no business losing whatsoever. Forget even uh, the DeAndre Hunter winner, which was, uh, you know, tremendous and smack off the glass. (laughs) They pull it out. They get the win. 
if you have not seen the uh, the win probability charts out there in general, they are exactly what your minds I think that they are. It uh, it's actually intriguing because it starts with Virginia and it tracks downward, and then um, l- indicating Louisville, and then there's actually a spike for Virginia late when it gets close, and then it just dives and then <laughs> shoots up into the atmosphere. It's incredible. Um, and obviously, the lane violation is what makes it particularly interesting, if not unique. Like, I don't think we've had that specific scenario ever play out to end a game and and flip a game's result in the process there. And it was uh, it was obviously, you know, the the biggest on the floor result from from Thursday, a wild one, and exacerbated by the fact that Louisville was a bubble team that most pe- people predicted just barely in or just barely out. And now with that, uh, they, bl- they blow a grand opportunity. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? And did you see it live? I did not see it live because I, hon- I thought the game was over. You know, I, I honestly, I was because of where I live and my radio, I was watching Memphis USF because the bull beating the hell out of Tigers in a in a way that'll, that'll make for a good radio show later on this afternoon. And so I was watching that. I thought the game, I thought Virginia Louisville was over. I mean, if you go on, it, it, again, I, I, I let's feel like we're doing commercials for Slack. But if you go back in Slack from last night, it's like, hey, Virginia's about to lose. You know, it's like Chip Patterson, like I'll handle Virginia when it, when they lose. And and so I'm like, okay, Virginia's going to lose. And, it, and then the next thing you see is they're down four with one second left. Okay, Virginia's going to lose. Because when you're down, I don't know if you watch basketball much, but when you're down four with one second left, you lose. You don't win that game. And so, no, I did not see it live. But obviously I went back and watched it. And, yeah, I don't know what it is, one in 10,000, one in 100,000. It is improbable. Again, down four with <laughs> one second to go and win the game. And I'm with you. How about this? Even last night, as I thought Virginia was about to lose, I was starting to look at the top 25 and one you know, because I updated every day like an idiot. And I was like, yeah, they still got the best resume in the country. They're still they still they, like I'm going to. And I know the idiots will like be tweeting me. Don't you know, Virginia lost last night. But Virginia with a loss last night on the road at Louisville would still have been number one in the top 25 and one because they would have still been uh, in, in possession of the best body of work. So I was going to keep them number one even with the loss, uh, but with the win, yeah, I'm with you. They can lose this weekend. They can lose their first game in the ACC tournament. They're still a one seed and probably the, the, the number one overall seed. Yeah, I think they've got number one overall seed locked up. I don't think there's any way that they can lose it, and I don't think that any, anyone else can. Uh, if that were to happen, um, I don't think Villanova, Xavier, or Kansas – Winning their league tournaments would pro- would would give enough to their resumes, and you know you're going to be one seed. You're going to be one seed. It is what it is. Um, but Vir- Virginia actually has the intrigue by getting the number one overall seed. I'll remind uh, listeners that the NCAA goes to you and says, "Okay, pick your pick your route here." That was something that got implemented last year. Um, so Virginia will get that courtesy, and it's only interesting because they'll get to decide between. Um, Atlanta or Boston, and I would think they would take Atlanta, but they're almost equidistant uh, in terms of the regions. And by getting number one overall, uh, it'll be uh, it'll be intriguing to see what happens there. But that was obviously uh, a wild event. People on press row, including uh, coaches that were scouting uh, for at the Big Ten tournament, like some coaches that were scouting the game happening in front of them, were obviously wowed by that. Tony Bennett's like a magician, man. This is this is a blessed season for them, and potentially. 
you know, a, a cosmic omen for the better, considering how that program and how that team absolutely blew uh, an unfathomable game against Syracuse in Chicago in the Elite Eight two years ago. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes, and I still kind of don't believe what happened. Maybe they're going to have uh, luck on their side going forward, and one seed certainly makes it the easiest path to a Final Four. Maybe that happens this year for Virginia. But that was, uh, that was obviously the biggest uh, and craziest result on Thursday. And meantime, you were at Madison Square Garden for the Big Ten tournament, which um, sets up for a great Friday. Like the Big Ten's official Twitter account tweeted the bracket last night. And uh, there's some fun games uh, scheduled for today. Obviously, uh, by the time people are listening to this, the games will have already started. By the time – if you listen to this on late Friday, Saturday morning, um, the games are already over. We apologize. But what's the scene like at MSG for the Big Ten tournament? Obviously, um, there's been a lot of criticism, like – playing it early, playing it in New York. But, you know, the garden's the garden, and um, and Friday should be fun. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll get to the Rutgers upset in just a second here, but a few thoughts on the tournament. If one, uh, by all accounts, the players love it, and if this is about the players, uh, let's, let's keep that in mind. Uh, coaches didn't love having the schedule condensed like this, which is a valid point. Um, I think competitively, even though everyone's having to play this tournament, you know, it's level from that perspective, and the, and the, and the time off, before the tournament, the NCAA tournament starts, is going to be beneficial. Um, I think it was stressful on a lot of programs this season doing it the way they did it. So they'll, the Big Ten will never do this again. They'll never uh, squeeze the schedule and then play their league tournament uh, before the other big boys. I will say selfishly, this is kind of cool. I kind of like the fact that, and partly it's because I get to attend this thing, but you get, you have a major tournament almost early. It's just a bonus. It's, it's, a, it's a nice appetizer you didn't even realize you were getting when you sat down at the table. I like that factor a lot. And, and I talked to three, four coaches yesterday, and I and I asked them, you know, how, and they all said they like it. So this whole this whole notion that the Midwest hates the Big Ten going to the Big Apple and why are they doing this, uh, that's not exactly true. Now, the fans, I think, aren't huge on it, but I'll also say the building was tremendous with the exception of the start of the Penn State-Northwestern game. Mike Greenberg in the second row, sure, but, uh, but there were maybe – Maybe 3,000 people in at, the, at, at tip. At, granted, that was 6.30. But now by the end of it, Rutgers fans, Indiana fans were filling up that joint plenty. And the crowds have been really good. And not only good in terms of filling a lot of the garden, but good in terms of active involvement here. Um, it, is, uh, it has been great. So some of the criticism, while validated, is perhaps a little overstated overall. I think this is a pretty cool thing. But we're never going to have this again. The Big Ten playing at the garden the week before the big tournaments. This is a one-time deal. So uh, perhaps we'll look back on it fondly a decade from now. I have to mention Indiana-Rutgers. I mean, that game started out looking like what we thought it was going to be, an Indiana blowout. That's the sixth seed in the Big Ten going up against the 14th seed. And then Rutgers uh, got a lot of attack at the rim. They shot 68% in the second half, 58% for the game, and that wasn't even a case where they were bombing it. They made four three, or they took four three-pointers, made two of them. Um, it wasn't... It, that wasn't what led Rutgers to get this kind of win. Uh, Indiana fans were obviously uh, a bit stunned by this. Uh, they tend that program, by the way, it tends to underperform in the league tournament in general. So this is a case of bad deja vu. 
but it, it's great for Jim Delaney in the Big Ten to have the one local team to this area get to Friday, make the quarterfinals, and do it when no one thought they were going to do it. I mean, the 14th seed, it's Rutgers. They're just the Rutgers. What can, what can I say about it? Um, but it was a cool scene there last night. Talked to Steve Peichel uh, briefly after the game. He was uh, obviously excited, all smiles uh, w- with his son Kevin, and knows that they got a they got a fun opportunity. And he said the team's loose because what do they have to lose? And it's absolutely right. Um, I think it's going to be really fascinating because Purdue will travel well, but I think Rutgers will have a good shot at equaling Purdue's fan base in that building on Friday night. Um, and as for the losing side, uh, Archie Miller was asked about Sean, and he said he didn't go into much detail. He's like, you know, that's my family. Obviously, it's good news. It's a good day. But, um, you know, we mostly talk about family and the stuff that happens. It stays within that, essentially. I'm, I'm half paraphrasing what he said there. But he didn't go too deep into detail about that. Uh, that was interesting. That was an interesting subtext to the night and to the day with with Archie. Uh, and obviously becomes a bittersweet day because he gets this great news with his brother and then suffers one of the worst uh, conference tournament games of his coaching life. Um, didn't think Indiana will lose the way that it did. And uh, what's weird, how about this? Someone tweeted this, this at me, and I want to give them credit because I wasn't aware of this. I was... Uh, I was actually talking to one of the Indian assistants, uh, uh, Tommy Ostrom, who was with Archie at Dayton. And it's uh, VCU Pav, who's actually a, a hardcore VCU fan. I think he's actually like really well-known amongst the VCU fan base. He said, get this, in 2014, Archie Miller and the Dayton Flyers finished 6th in the A-10 and got an at-large bid. In 2018, Indiana finishes 6th in the Big Ten, and it is nowhere close to getting an NCAA tournament bid, which is just a reminder that every season is a universe unto itself when it comes to the selection and seeding of teams, and um, that still is a wow stat overall. But good on Rutgers, awesome environment, and it should be a tremendous Friday at quarterfinals here. I'm very excited to see what we have, uh, a lot of good matchups, and obviously next time we talk, we'll know, have known who won this tournament uh, and gotten the auto bid, and we'll recap anything that's worthy of discussion from the Big Ten tourney. Uh, before we get out of here and before you bounce over to the Garden in Midtown Manhattan, let's look uh, ahead to some actually scheduled games uh, for this weekend. Obviously, obviously, we don't know who is playing whom on Saturday and Sunday in the Big Ten tournament, so we'll leave that for a later conversation. But um, there are regular season games to be played. Uh, number 23, Kentucky uh, at Florida. Obviously, the Wildcats are playing at this point uh, as as well as they've played all season. That team is starting to look like one of those John Calipari teams that um, maybe had some ups and downs during the season. But, oh, wow, look, they're back in the Final Four again. I'm not predicting that, obviously, but uh, it, it's it's no longer unreasonable to think that they could get there. They are tied for third in the SEC standings, and if they are able to win at Florida on Saturday, they would finish in sole possession of third place behind uh, Auburn and Tennessee. You got Kentucky winning at Florida or uh, a Florida team that is uh, playing well uh, as of late, beat Auburn, beat Alabama in back-to-back games. You think uh, Florida wins at home? I'm going to take Florida at home. This is a noon tip on CBS. It's the network of stars. That's the network of stars. That's America's most watched network. Yeah, GP, I was going to say that. I know, but I wanted to. I love saying that. I don't mind. I know. It's fine. Gators are going to win this game at home. Um, I think it'll be somewhat of an ugly game, something along, along the lines of 69-64 Florida. In doing so, Florida would um, 
really boost its overall resume in getting a win like this and heading into the SEC tournament. Florida's one team that I think uh, will just – it'll be anywhere between a 6 and a 10, maybe a 6 and a 9. If it beats Kentucky, it's I think it's locked into a single-digit seed. Um, but it's got a real shot at, uh, at being a spoiler that first weekend and making a second weekend run just because it's got the, it's got the coaching and ability to do so. But it's also – it's flamed out a lot, so it's a fascinating team. I'll take the Gators. Who are you taking in that game, GP? Yeah, Florida, I've been saying it for years. You just don't go into the O-Dome and win, you know, easily. Uh, well, that's you can not check the anymore. old podcast with, with <laughs> terrible sound if you want to. I mean, Loyola Chicago can do it. I acknowledge that. But for the most part, you're not going to go into the O-Dome and win. And um, Listen, I won't rule it out. Kentucky went to West Virginia and win, so it won't be the craziest thing that happens this weekend if it does happen. But um, gun to head, got to pick a team. I'll pick Florida to win at home. Number 18, Clemson, is at Syracuse. Syracuse, of course, got run off the court on Wednesday night at Boston College. They were already, according to most bracketologists, um, on the wrong side of the bubble. And obviously losing losing at BC doesn't help your case, particularly when you lose at BC by double digits. Uh, Syracuse is, uh, I think, 0-6 against the top 25 of the RPI. You know, if you like the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee's quadrant system, uh, you should note that at this moment, Syracuse only has one quad one win. I mean, no, no, three quad one wins. So they need more. I mean, there are bubble teams that have more than that. Syracuse is going to go to the NIT unless they get this game and then do, I think, a little work, at least in the ACC tournament. Can they handle Clemson uh, inside the Carrier Dome? I think they're going to make things interesting. Um, I think they're going to win this game. And I still think they got serious work to do. Um, I think come Monday I'm going to really look at uh, a lot of the major conference teams like Syracuse and see how their uh, quadrant one record stacks up and then um, see how many, if if applicable, how many um, quadrant three or quadrant four losses they have. Because um, not a lot of not a lot of teams from major conferences are going to have a lot of, of Q3 and Q4 losses. But that might be an important distinction to keep in mind as we head towards Selection Sunday. What we still don't know is how the committee – is going to weight quadrant one performance uh, versus the other ones as well. I, I would hope that um, there's equal weight as much as possible given to each personally, but we just don't know that yet. And we will not know that until we see a bracket, we see who's in, who's not, and then we hear Bruce Rasmussen, the chair of the committee, uh, explain any of the questions that people are going to have about seating, snubs, and et cetera, et cetera. But I like Syracuse to win this game. Um, I think Clemson's definitely the better team, and Syracuse has been better than I thought it would be this season, even though it's been relatively lackluster for uh, program expectations and standards. But I will take the Orange to win a close one, something along the lines of, say, 64-60. to 60. Yeah, I think Syracuse wins at home and then, um, like you said, makes it interesting uh, in the ACC tournament. Just a win over Clemson isn't going to get them where they need to go. Uh, But the great thing about playing in the ACC is that in the ACC tournament, theoretically, you're going to have opportunities to improve yourself. It's um, the exact opposite of like the situation Boise State's in right now. Boise State has a lot of wins, but they don't have any good ones. Um, You know, if they were getting ready to go play in the Big 12 tournament, they'd have opportunities to get good ones and maybe they could get, you know, to – where you need to be to be in a serious discussion for an at-large bid, but Boise State's not going to be able to get there. There's nothing it can do short of winning the Mountain West Conference tournament uh, to get them in the NCAA tournament. Not true for Syracuse. Um, you know, if they get into the ACC tournament and quote unquote make some noise, uh, then they, they could theoretically get there. But my guess would be 
it's only a guess, um, that they, they do beat Clemson this weekend, uh, but then do not get enough done to go to the NCAA tournament. Uh, I would assume that at this point, Syracuse is going to uh, be playing in the NIT. But maybe I'll be wrong. We'll see. Notre Dame at number one, Virginia. And this is especially interesting because uh, Virginia's got everything wrapped up. It needs to get wrapped up. But Bonzi Colson came back uh, on Wednesday night, and he, he played well. Now, perhaps he just played well because you're playing Pitt. And if you play Pitt, you play well. Like, maybe I could play well against Pitt. But he did play well. He put up numbers like he always does. And they've got an interesting case to be made uh, to the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee because the the metrics are good with Notre Dame, even when you take into account everything that that program has dealt with this year. Notre Dame right now is 31 at Ken Palm. That is good enough to be an at-large team. And now they're at full strength when you take into account a lot of the losses they took because their record um, is 18 and 12. But a lot of the losses they took, it's not with the team that they're playing with right now. It's not with the team Mike Bray has right now. And if you go and win at Virginia, I think you could make a strong case. And if I were Mike Bray, I'd stand up and make it loudly. I mean, geez, I might make it for him. Like, okay, you're trying to put the best teams in this bracket. We're clearly one of the best teams. I'm sorry we lost our point guard for a little while and our and our power forward for a little while. But we're healthy now. We we are one of the best teams. Put us in that bracket. You win at Virginia, there's a case to be made. And, and perhaps there's a case to be made no matter what. Yeah, they've got a case. Now, they did lose three with that with Bonzi, including a home heartbreaker to Ball State, which is obviously a bad loss. I think that's a Q3 loss um, that will be held against them. And they will have losses uh, without Bonzi on the floor held against them. But if, 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 if they can win at Virginia – and I, listen, I do not put that past um, Bray. He he. Listen, they can do that. They've got they've got the players. In terms of college, they got the best player on the floor. They might have a case for the best two players on the floor in that game, in Bonzi and Matt Farrell. So it's capable. I'm not going to pick Notre Dame to do it, but um, man, it would be great to see, especially heading into the ACC tournament, which will be in New York next week. I'll be there as well. Um, could be very intriguing if they lose if they lose they'll be 18 and 13 and I think they would need a run to the ACC title game for us to address their at-large case um, until then uh, I know it's it's a tough ass to go into Virginia uh, and if they win by one point the committee should take what they see and take that into account but I'm not seeing a case for them uh, inside the dance with a loss of Virginia and a loss anytime before the title game in Brooklyn. It'll be, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's going to completely come down to what the selection committee, you know, how they, how they look at this. Like, are you, uh, the record's the record. I understand that you, you can't just assume they would have won all these games that they lost if they had Bonzi playing, particularly when they did lose uh, to inferior teams with Bonzi. But again, uh, the, the metrics are, are solid. They are healthy now. And, I don't think, you know, putting the bar at go win at Virginia is fair when we're talking about whether or not they can be an at-large team. Because, like, who would win at Virginia outside of Virginia Tech, of course? <laughs> but, but um, I mean, that, that's a that's – a, like, hey, go win at Virginia and we'll take you seriously. What? Like, how are we supposed to go win a, a, a game on the road against the top-ranked team in America? Like, come on. That's not that's, – that's unreasonable. But um, I do think that they're competitive there. Obviously, if they win, like, like, let's go. But if they're competitive there and then do some stuff in the ACC tournament, I don't know that they got to get all the way to the championship game to, to get an at-large bid. But it'll be a serious point of discussion 
you know, that, that we'll probably revisit because um, if, if you're trying to fill out a bracket right now with the best teams, clearly I think Notre Dame at full strength is, is one of those. But, you know, the resume is the, is the resume and the record is the record, and that could be problematic. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting over the uh, next week for them. North Carolina at Duke. That's number nine, North Carolina, at number five, Duke. North Carolina, of course, coming off of a home loss uh, to Miami. Uh, I've said this before, but it always sticks out um, uh, when, when something like what happened the other night happens. And they lost at the buzzer. We talked about it already. But you know when you you don't want to lose a game you're supposed to win before you play a game that you're supposed to lose because that that usually results in a two game losing streak. And North Carolina lost um, on Tuesday night a game it was supposed to win a home game against Miami and now it's it's got to play a game that it's supposed to lose um, a road game at Cameron Indoor. I, I'll take Duke just because I was thinking about this earlier. I wonder if this is true. I believe this is probably true. Have I ever? Has anybody ever? Picked against Duke at home. Uh, under what circumstances would you pick against Duke at home? Dude, you do it like three times a year. What are you talking about? I don't think I do that. I, I mean, because Duke is – I know people I, – because I, I get this all the time. Oh, Duke's always in the top ten. Or, oh, what does Duke have to do to fall out? The, the reason Duke's always in the top ten is because Duke is always good. Sometimes great, often great, but always good. Duke never sucks. Never. And so uh, when you take that under consideration – that Duke never sucks. When would you ever pick against Duke at home? I would never pick against Duke at home, I don't think. I'm going to pick against Duke at home right now. Straight okay. up. UNC okay, okay. going in, winning, 82-78, okay. beating the Blue Devils. It's going down for real. Saturday night, I just did it in your face. All right, go, go then. I'm okay. Uh, I'll take Duke, but now I'm rooting for North Carolina just so you can brag about your straight up pick. That was nice. <laughs> so uh, you got North Carolina on the road. I got Duke at home, and then we're gonna go to bed and we're gonna wake up on Sunday, and a massive game in the American Athletic Conference, which is still a weird name for a league, but whatever. It's number ten Cincinnati at number eleven Wichita State. If Wichita wins at home in the Coke's uh, in in Coke Arena. The Shockers are co-AAC champs. If Cincinnati wins on the road, the Bearcats are outright AAC champs. So do we have an outright champion or co-champions in the American? Mm. Co-champions. I like Wichita State. I think we got coach. Yeah, I like Wichita State to win this game. Um, I, that home arena is extremely tough to win in. And uh, Mark, Marcus McDuffie has rounded into form. I talked to Greg Marshall uh, last week, uh, and he said he's finally looking like the player we were hoping that he was going to be. And with that, Wichita State gets a little more dangerous. They get the home floor here. I like them to win. Don't you dare ra- make your pick. Don't you dare wrap up this podcast before letting me talk about the auto bids that are going out. I'm throwing it out there. Go ahead. I'm picking Wichita State. I'm not going to pick against Wichita State at home. I, this is my new rule. I'm not picking against Duke at home. I'm not picking against Wichita State at home. Period. End of story until Greg Marshall or Mike Krzyzewski retire. So um, nothing crazy about Cincinnati winning because Cincinnati's really good. But I'll take Wichita State at home, and I think we're going to have AAC co-champions. Okay, talk about your auto bids, Norlander. Well, actually, okay. I, uh, Let's see. shout late. out to the mid-majority late. hardcore throwbacks there. Actually, the one thing you didn't mention, you might have missed it because you were in transit. Not related to auto bids, but there's a good chance we're going to see Michael Porter Jr. play this weekend. Conzo Martin yeah. 
said that he, if he's feeling good, he's going to be on the floor. Um, so that's potentially just something to watch out for. Um, could change the dynamic of Missouri's season. They play on Saturday at home versus Arkansas. We don't know for sure if he's going to play. Keep an eye on that. If he does, we'll talk about it on Sunday's podcast almost definitely. That would be incredible. Okay. Yeah. And let me let me say this before you before okay. you go into the auto bits okay. about Michael Porter Jr. Because we were in studio on Wednesday night, and this was obviously before Conzo said what he said, but there was still a chance that 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 Michael would play this weekend. And I was asked, you know, should Michael Porter play this season, including this Saturday? And I, I was in the studio with Danny Granger, former NBA All-Star, and, and Swin Cash, a WNBA and college basketball legend. And they both said no. They said, absolutely not. You're worth too much money. Don't risk anything. And while I respect them, obviously, and, and they know what it's like to have, you know, to make a living off of their physical gifts. That's how they made their livings. That's how they became, you know, um, wealthy uh, many times over. Uh, my answer was uh, a little nuanced. Uh, I said, and this ain't the best. Nuance is not great for television, by the way, because you know every point you make needs to be made in 30 seconds or less. But I said, here's what Michael Porter should do. He should sit down with doctors and with his parents and with his coaches. And he should understand. Just make sure you have a proper understanding of the risk and the rewards. And then here's what Michael Porter should do. Whatever he wants to do. As long as he understands um, the stakes, then do whatever you want to do. Because I tweeted this before, and I'm confident we've talked about it on the podcast, but uh, I used to, when I was younger, and I think, as long as we're being honest, dumber, um, I used to have advice for everybody. I think <laughs> younger people tend, usually do. Um, you know, I, I knew what every coach should do when his name was connected to a job, whether he should stay or go. I knew what every player should do. He should enter the NBA draft or return to college. I, I had everything figured out. And then what I realized at some point is that what matters to me or what I would do in a certain situation isn't necessarily what matters to somebody else or what they would do. Um, my own career is, is symbolic of that. I have made decisions that I'm confident other people wouldn't make when given opportunities. You know, I, I live where I live. I could have moved many times, had my opportunities to move many times. Um, and yet, for reasons that aren't strictly um, – for reasons that, that wouldn't be clear to somebody else, um, I've said, no, that, like, I'm, I'm, that's a, I appreciate the opportunity. Wow, that's an amazing offer. I'm humbled. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing or I'm going to choose not to do what you're presenting. And so if I found myself making those own types of decisions that, that wouldn't make sense to maybe somebody else, then it would be foolish for me to, to, to believe that other people aren't um, in similar situations, making decisions based on what's important to them, not what's important to everybody else. And then I had a conversation with Marcus Smart one time when he came back for his sophomore year at Oklahoma State. And I, I remember talking to Travis Ford. Uh, who was at the time the coach at, uh, at OSU. He's now, of course, the coach at St. Louis. And Travis said that he was told from NBA people Marcus would have been no worse than the third pick in the NBA draft after his freshman year. Now, some of that was because that draft was awful. But either way, Marcus is talented. And then Marcus decided to come back to school. And I remember going, what are you doing? Like, what an idiotic move. 
you can go be a multimillionaire and get on with your professional career. Why are you going to stay an amateur when you can be a multimillionaire? I thought Marcus Smart had made the worst decision of his life, or at least a short-sighted, dumb decision. And then I was at that whatever the tournament is um, over Thanksgiving holidays down in Orlando. I don't know what they call it these days. But OSU was playing in it. And I sat down with Marcus one afternoon, and we spent about, I don't know, 45 minutes together. And we're talking through all this, and Marcus Smart. And I thought that this was amazing because I'm in my you know, mid-30s at the time, and here's a, here's a 19-year-old kid, like actually enlightening me. And he said, yeah, I know. I could have been the third pick in the draft. I know I could be a millionaire right now. He said, but you have to understand, I'm living with my best friend. I have an opportunity to take my school to a Final Four. I was the preseason national player of the year. And I just like, I'm having, this is like, you never get this back. He said, I, I understand that I'm risking something. Like if, you know, I, I lose my left leg, I'll never make a million dollars playing basketball. But I'm comfortable with the risk. Um, the risks are minimal. Most people do not. You know, we always hear about, well, well, what if he tears his ACL? Well, then he'll have surgery, rehab, and then go to the NBA. You know, they, they, there aren't really... Uh, too many examples of, oh my God, he came back to school, suffered an injury, and he was never the same. You know, Nerland's Noel is a great example. Um, I don't know what Nerland's could have been or, or 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 could not have been, but he did tear his ACL in one year of college, and he was still a you know top five pick, whatever he was. Uh, injuries in college basketball don't usually prevent you from being selected where it is you were going to be selected anyway. You'll see in a little while, Michael Porter Jr. will be um, an example of that, but. Uh, you know, uh, Marcus Smart was was essentially saying, I, I you know, I, I, the money's going to be there for me. I'll be a professional basketball player someday. But I just I, like I'm having a blast. This is awesome. And I'm getting to play with my best friends and play for, you know, college basketball and be a star on a big stage. And um, I didn't want to give that up so quickly. And I said, OK, like, you know what? That makes sense to me. I'm not sure I would have made the same decision, but that makes sense to me. And so I use all that to, to, to form an opinion about Michael Porter Jr. I, I think if I were him, I might just say, you know what, I'm going to set this thing out and we're going to go get picked in the top four, five, six of the NBA draft and, and become a professional basketball player with, with, without risking um, my health playing in college basketball games in March. On the other hand, if his opinion is, yeah, I'm, I'm, I will never be able to play a real basketball game with my brother again. And I have that opportunity now. I want to do that. I will never get to play in Missouri's home arena again. This is the only shot I get to walk on that court, to be introduced, to have a standing ovation. I don't want to pass that up. You know, people dream as a kid about playing in the NCAA tournament. If I don't do it now, I'll never be able to fulfill that dream. I'm going to do it. You know, uh, playing against Kentucky, theoretically, in the SEC tournament. Yeah, I'm going to play against the Celtics someday and against the Warriors someday and against LeBron and Steph. And all, but will I ever get to play you know, in an SEC tournament against Kentucky? John Calipari on the other side. Like I, These are things I want to check off. These are memories I want to have. And if that's where Michael Porter Jr. is, and by all accounts, like some of this stuff actually does matter to him, go play. Go play. Um, so you know, what, Michael, what should Michael Porter do? That's what I was asked the other night. He should do whatever he wants to do. You subscribe to that? I got to get over to the garden here, Gary. Like, yeah, that was some great stuff, bud. But we got to wrap up this podcast. I agree with you completely. <laughs> we have automatic qualifying 
bids to hand out. Five of them this weekend. Here's your Luke. heads up. Obviously, the biggest. Hey, let's talk. Hey, let's. Hey, hey, let's let's spend some time talking about games and conferences nobody cares about. Go ahead. Yeah, sounds good. Hey, if you That'll like the, if you yeah. like hearing about auto bids, let Parrish know on Twitter because he loves that. So we have five auto bids to hand out. Obviously, the Big Ten tournament that's going to be Sunday. The only one on Saturday. Just to give you the heads up, the first bid will come from the Ohio Valley, and that's Murray State and Belmont. They're the two best teams. Don't mess around with my man Rick Bird. You're going to disparage any Rick Bird chat on this podcast, Parrish. You're going to go after Bird. You're going to go yes. after Matt McMahon. How dare you? Murray State's a really good team. They can win, they Sorry, can win games in the tournament. I can hear when I'm sleeping. <laughs> then, on Sunday, you know what's coming. Oh, you know it. The Atlantic Sun, Florida Gulf Coast. Shout out to Joe Dooley. He has uh, done a great job at that program. They're the favorite to win that. They will go up against Lipscomb. That's a top two situation in that league. Going to be a bid that's handed out there. Very excited about that. And I think I hear Parrish actually attempting to snore right now. Just outright. The disrespect. We also have the Valley. That league will uh, be have its league tournament decided on CBS. Parrish obviously doesn't care about that. But Loyola is the favorite in that league. And if it's the network, most watched network. There it is. Okay, so Loyola will have an at-large case if it does not win the league. I think that it should win the league overall. And then uh, you got the Big Ten. And then you have the Big South. Nick McDevitt, my guy, UNC Asheville, number one seed in that league. They've got a chance. So we'll have five teams to punch their tickets to the dance by the end of the weekend. Those are your primers on that. And that's all I got. Go ahead and wrap up the podcast, Parrish. Unless you want to talk for 11 more minutes about Michael Porter's decision to play this weekend. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. That's the legend, Terry Teagle. Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple podcast rated favorably five stars with nice comments that's all we ask we will sit here and talk about low major conference tournaments all we ask in return is that you uh, rate the podcast five stars and uh and subscribe via apple Podcasts. Uh, we will talk to you again on sunday hey by the way we got to do this early sunday because i got a flight to catch can you do that can you pull that off sunday i'm gonna be at the garden for the title game so what are you talking about like what what time I've got a mid-afternoon flight. Uh, why can't we? What do time's it? that game? Uh, it's like what four, time's the Big Ten? Tur- four Eastern yeah. or something like that. Oh, we got problems then. I guess we could do it Monday morning. I mean, I'll be in New York Monday morning. We could wake up and do it Monday morning. That's because, what we're gonna uh, do Sunday night. Okay, so let me rephrase. We are not going to talk to you on Sunday night, but we will talk to you on Monday morning, unless we decide at some point between now and and then talk to you on, on Sunday night. We'll figure it out. Whatever. Just go subscribe. Here's great news. Go subscribe, and you'll know exactly uh, when we're going to talk to you again, whether that's Sunday night or Monday morning. Uh, either way, uh, we'll be back soon. Till then, take care.